Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back. And we usually at this time, I'm Kevin Ellis, it's Vermont Viewpoint. Usually at this time, we go to Washington and we talk to former congressman and now our Washington correspondent, Bob Ney. But he is traveling and unavailable. But he and I did have a great email back and forth uh, yesterday. to So he we can give you the latest update on the speaker's race uh, for the United States House of Representatives. So... Let, let's go back to uh, what what happened, okay? House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy has been removed. Uh, and the question is, uh, why? And then we'll get to what's coming next. So the question I put to Bob, who, as I said, is traveling. but And remember, Bob Ney is no ordinary uh, uh, authority on this. He is the authority. Why? Because he was a member of the United States House of Representatives, the Congress. He was a member from Ohio. He came in uh, in the – oh, I don't know his, the date, but he came in in the 90s with Speaker Newt Gingrich and the Contract for America. I, back then, he would call himself a conservative. I'm not sure what he would call himself today, uh, but he does remain a Republican. And the question I put to Bob – but uh, uh, last Friday, but also uh, just yesterday was, Bob, why did this happen? Why did eight members of the Republican majority in the House vote to oust their own speaker first time in history? And then why did the Democrats, all the Democrats, including Vermont Congresswoman Becca Ballant of Brattleboro, why did they vote to oust him too? Uh, and his answer was uh, – this happened because Kevin McCarthy angered everyone. So uh, it occurred because eight members were mad at McCarthy for not keeping promises that he made to them and negotiating with Democrats over government shutdowns twice. Uh, I guess the big crime now in Washington is for any Republican to talk to any Democrat. So Bob's email to me was, it occurred because eight members of his own party were mad at McCarthy. And then his next comment is, if they can't pick a successor quickly, it throws the entire House agenda off and puts the marginal House Republicans in jeopardy of losing their seats. Thus, the House goes Democratic in 2024. So you're, you're, when he when you, when he talks about marginal Republicans, what he's talking about there is Republicans who won rate tight races in districts around the country that are moderate and could possibly be won by Democrats. And I'm trying to think of uh, places in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, even Texas, where a Republican might have won two years ago over a Democrat, and now a Democrat is – I don't have the races off the top of my head. Josh Lyman from the West Wing would have it off the top of his head and on his blackboard on the TV show, greatest TV show in history. 
you would, you would, he, Josh would have this off the top of his head and he'd have 10 to 15 races that could go either way, Democrat or Republican. So what Bob Nay is telling us from some far flung location where he's traveling is, um, the entire House agenda is threatened and Republicans are in danger of losing the House. Now, um, two leading candidates to rep- become the next speaker are working the phones in the halls of the Capitol to vie for support within the party's fractured ranks uh, to succeed McCarthy. They are Representative Steve Scalise, the majority leader, and Jim Jordan, the Judiciary Committee chairman. They've each landed more than a dozen endorsements. A lot of those endorsements I'm watching on Twitter, now known as X, uh, and an election on the House floor could follow the next uh, by Wednesday. So Republicans are scheduled to gather. Uh, they're on they're on a break now. They're all home. But they're going to go back to Washington on Monday and gather for a big meeting on Tuesday of their caucus where they're going to listen to arguments from Scalise and Jordan about who should be speaker. Uh, the big development, of course, is that at 12.13 a.m. this morning, uh, Donald Trump wrote on his own Truth Social uh, platform the following message. Congressman Jim Jordan has been a star Long before making his very successful journey to Washington, D.C., he will be a great speaker of the House and has my complete and total support. So that, of course, sets off uh, a race to Twitter by far-right conservatives loyal to former President Trump saying that they uh, endorse uh, um, they endorse Jordan. Uh, so Jordan's a – I'll tell you what Jordan is. Jordan's a brawler. Uh, I, I've watched Jordan a lot. He's a former assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State University. He defied a subpoena by, by the January 6th committee to appear. Uh, he uh, has defended some of the January 6th insurrectionists. He is accused by many of looking the other way when he was an assistant coach uh, on the wrestling team at Ohio State when there was sexual abuse going on in that program. Uh, he is the co-founder of something called the, the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, he is, he is, so he is, uh, an ultra conservative mem- founder of the House Freedom Caucus that supports Trump and did not like Kevin McCarthy. However, Jordan, you know, when you, when you get to a position of leadership as Jordan did as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, you're you're in that middle where you've got to either you got to go with Trump and the far far right, or you've got to try to make deals uh, that that McCarthy was doing uh, with Democrats to actually move legislation. And the question is, what you know, what's Jordan going to do? Scalise, who's from Louisiana, uh, the challenge will be to stay one step ahead of Jordan and make better inroads with the right wing of the party. Remember, it was Scalise who at a Softball practice uh, on on the mall in Washington was shot by a by a, a gunman who uh, opened fire on on this on a group of people practicing softball. Uh, so, and here's what now the original uh, the guy who made the motion to remove Speaker McCarthy is Matt Gates uh, from Florida, 
And here's his quote today. If it's Speaker Jim Jordan or Speaker Steve Scalise, there will be Steve Scalise. There will be very few conservatives in the country who don't see that as a monumental upgrade over Speaker McCarthy. So uh, that's going to be really interesting. Uh, we will we will see uh, where it goes. All right. So that's the Speaker of the House in the United States. Uh, we're going to come back. After the break, we're going to talk to Courtney, Courtney Lambden at Seven Days uh, and uh, about what's going on in Burlington around the lead, the announcement by Mayor Moreau Weinberger that he will not run for re-election. Courtney will run down the candidates who have announced their intention to run, and we'll have that right after this break. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. We're doing a lot of politics today. We started with nuclear weapons, such a light topic. Uh, and then we've talked a lot about the speaker's race in Washington and what's going on with House Speaker, uh, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and who would replace him. Now we're going to move to Burlington and our favorite, uh, political city hall reporter and all things Burlington at seven days, Courtney Lambden. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. Okay. The mayor of Burlington, Moreau Weinberger, has announced that he's not going to run for re-election. So there's a bunch of people, and they're all coming on this show. I've got Emma Mulvaney-Stanick scheduled already uh, to tell us why they should be mayor. And you wrote about it. You've got all the details this week in seven days. So who's in? Well, as far as I know, as of Tuesday, no one is officially in but like you mentioned, Emma Mulvaney-Stanick, a state rep from Burlington, is uh, seriously considering it. Um, and a few other people are in that same kind of boat. Uh, another person is C.D. Madison, who's a tech consultant who's lived in Burlington for many years. Uh, Karina Driscoll, who is Bernie Sanders' daughter and a business owner who ran against Moreau in 2018. And also a very longtime city councilor, Joan Shannon. Okay. So let's see. Emma Mulvaney Stanek is a prog. Um, uh, let's see. Joan Shannon is a longtime Democrat, 20 years on the city council. Tell us, uh, why don't we start with those two? Tell us about both of them. Yeah. So like you mentioned, Joan has been on the council for 20 years. She is um, very popular in her district. Uh, Last election cycle, she had several competitors in both the Democratic caucus, which is essentially the primary in these elections, and also the general town meeting day election and completely trounced all of them, like devastated them. (laughs) So she (laughs) does she does really well. Um, She is also, you know, I think that in this election, uh, Issues such as public safety and and really more than policing, I think the drug crisis will be a big topic of discussion. And Joan Shannon has been very clear in her vision for public safety in the city. Uh, she was one of three councilors who voted against doing the, the police cutting vote in June 2020. Um, she was also very outspoken about the closure of a large homeless encampment in 2021. Um, so she is kind of um, no nonsense. She tells you what she thinks, <laughs> in my experience, covering the city council. Right. Um, Emma Mulvaney-Stanick has been in local politics for a number of years. 
Uh, she served on the city council some years ago, actually at the same time as Joan Shannon, and um, later uh, left local politics to join state politics. She was once the Progressive Party's um, chair, and she currently leads the party caucus, the Progressive Party caucus at the state house. And um, while in Montpelier, you know, she's she has supported a number of of bills that you would expect progressives to support. Um, most recently, I think ones to increase legislator pay and require safe storage of firearms, which is actually something that Murrow Weinberger um, has been pushing for as well. So, yeah, those are those, that's what I know uh, in short about two of these potential candidates. And and Max Tracy, uh, who is. Gosh, I can't. He's the former city council president who ran against Weinberger in 2021 and lost by just 129 votes. He has said he is not running. Is that right? That is right. And he says that if Emma Mulvaney Stanek does run, then he will support her. So she already has one kind of prominent prog in her corner. Okay. Can you tell us how the election works? Uh, let's see. You've got Mulvaney Stanek's a progressive. But so is Karina Driscoll. Do they all just get in one big election and, and is it runoff voting? How does it work? Yeah. So Karina was endorsed by progressives in her last mayoral run, uh, but she ran as an independent and told me this time around that if she does enter the race, that's likely what she would do again. So, you know, speaking of the, of the caucuses, which is, I think, kind of what you're getting at, um, C.D. Madison is a, is a Democrat and would be running against a Democrat, Joan Shannon, potentially. Okay. So let's say it's the two of them. Uh, what would happen is um, those two candidates and any number of people that, that notify the party that they want the Democratic nomination would um, attend a caucus. And folks that go to that caucus, I believe it's in person and virtual, would cast online ballots. And at the end of the night, the party would announce who their nominee is. So in Burlington, you know, you can't vote in more than one caucus. So if you want to, you're a Democrat, then <laughs> you vote in the Democrat caucus. If the progs end up having more than one candidate, they do the same thing. Um, and you have to go to these caucuses if you want to run with a letter next to your name. Anyone who doesn't do that would run as an independent. Um, so and there's no, of course, there's no caucus for them. There could be any number of independent candidates. This year will be the first time in a long time that Burlington will elect a mayor with ranked choice voting. So um, long-time listeners, payers attention of Burlington politics might remember that the city got rid of instant runoff voting um, a number of years ago after a controversial mayor's race in which um, Bob Kiss won despite not having a progressive, not having um, gotten the most second or third place votes. I forget how it worked out. Right. Anyway, the city has brought it back. And the way that works is everyone will get a ballot. You will rank your candidates in order that you prefer them. And if no one in the first round gets a majority of votes, so more than 50%, the person with the fewest number of votes is kind of kicked out. The second choice votes of everyone who picked that person who was just eliminated are then tallied, and it goes into another round. And this is instant, so it's all done by a machine. It's not like it doesn't take hours. It's instant. So this continues. They keep running the numbers until someone gets more than 50% of votes. Okay. And I I got to point out that 
I believe it's the first time in the history of Burlington politics that it's pretty clear that the next mayor is going to be a woman. At this point, uh, that is what certainly could happen. Yeah. Um, I have I have not heard from any um, men who are interested in running. That doesn't mean they're not out there, though. Um, yep. We're still kind of early days, and there is a number of weeks before the caucuses. I see you checked, you, you checked in with former uh, Tim Ash, who lost a close race to Weinberger, Brian Pine, uh, Ali Dang. You've, you've talked to all the usual suspects, but lacking a surprise candidate uh, looks like this is going to be a fascinating uh, sort of contest of ideas. But can you talk a little bit about public safety, which I'm now seeing some candidates changing the terminology and calling it community safety? Mm. That clearly, along with, uh, with along with the issue of of drug abuse, mental health, addiction, homelessness, uh, the ability to walk down Church Street and not have to deal with people living on the street. That is a huge issue. Your publisher and owner and editor-in-chief, Paula Routley, wrote a column about it, took some criticism online about it. Uh, I thought it was an excellent column uh, because it, it forced all of us to confront some pretty ugly pictures, uh, and it and it led to some uh, really good feedback of what what's going in Burlington going on in Burlington and say what you want whether it's real or not there's a perception out there that Burlington's in some trouble. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've kind of summed it up. Um, you know, we we have seen an explosion in the number of um people who are living unsheltered. Uh, the homeless crisis is real in Burlington and other places. And same for the um, number of overdoses in the city. We, I can't, I have lost track. I think we are more than 350 this year, um, at this point in the year, which is more than any, the total number of last year. So we are definitely experiencing in Burlington, um, yeah, a community crisis. Yeah, that's probably a better way of putting it, um, than public safety crisis. And I think, um, we're going to be entering this mayor's race with, a lot of questions for these candidates about what do they see as solutions. And this is not something that has an easy solution because if there was one, I think people would have done it by now. So yeah. I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion and debate over what would the next mayor do to try and change this perception and reality of what people see when they go downtown. And I think, you know, that will, there, that means there will be a lot of discussions about, you know, can the city change its drug policy? Will the city um, uh, try to look into um, more forcefully opening a safe consumption site, which has been a, a, a very controversial effort in other states? Um, and it will be about housing, too. I think we'll be hearing a lot about what can the city do to increase housing, particularly housing that will support people with the services that they need to be able to stay in that housing Um you are you're you're on the street every day um, talking to these uh, pol- political leaders covering the city council <clears throat> and the mayor. What are you looking for? You know, what what are the questions you're asking, and what are you looking for among the four people featured in your article and anybody else? Like, who's going to jump out in front? What what? It, it, there's public safety, yes, but how are they going to distinguish themselves? And what are you looking for for your next story? 
great question. Um, I think, you know, I think because Moreau has been in office for so long, it, for, it'll be 12 years when he leaves office, I think the natural inclination will be to ask candidates, what will they do differently yeah. if they feel that what Moreau has done has not worked? And I think some people do some and some people don't. So it'll, it'll be interesting. And, and especially to hear people from his same party hear about different approaches that they might take. Um, you know, I think some of them are perhaps, uh, you know, Burlington can't do everything on its own, right? So Burlington only has so much money. It can only raise taxes so much to a level that is, tolerable to its uh, residents. Right. Um, so I think there will probably be some discussion, too, about what should the state be doing um, about some of these larger social issues. So I'll be asking candidates about that. And I'm very interested to hear what they have to say. And in, can you sum up Moreau Weinberger for us in the two minutes that we have left? The, uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know whether you can be popular in politics anymore, given how we've broken into these tribes that just like to fight all the time. But here's a guy who, you know, you talk to people on the street and he gets a lot of criticism. On the other hand, if you look at the record, the budget is in good shape. There is a police chief there. He has raised the, 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 uh, the bond rating. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of positives for him and yet he takes a lot of criticism. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, I think you touched on the, the, the high points uh, that, he does have a good record of financial management of the city. When he came in, um, the city was just uh, going through the Burlington Telecom fiasco, um, which dipped the city's credit rating to near junk bond status. Over the years, Moreau raised that rating by six steps, and a city report that came out um, a couple weeks ago said that that's estimated to have saved taxpayers $24 million over the years and, and could be more once the school Burlington High School bond is fully um, drawn out. Um, he also, you know, built up a lot of cash that helped pay for unexpected things during the pandemic um, and has done a lot of infrastructure projects. Uh, most recently, the Champlain Parkway is finally under construction after three or four decades of, of delays. Um, but, you know, I think his critics would say uh, he hasn't necessarily handled public safety completely uh, well. They look to his management of the police department. I've reported on a number of scandals, I guess, yeah. at the police department with yeah. police chiefs. Um, and he's been targeted by racial justice pro, you know, activists who have protested on his lawn, saying that he has not done enough to um, create a more equitable place for BIPOC folks in the well, community. So well, we're gonna, there's a lot there. <laughs> we're we're going to have him on the show, and we're going to have all of those mayora candidates on the show as they pop up. And we'll have you back to talk about it all. Courtney, thanks so much for joining us. I look forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Courtney Lambden, Seven Days. You can read about her, the mayoral race in Seven Days at sevendaysvt.com this week. Great story. Courtney's always knows exactly what's going on. We'll come back. We'll open the phones. I want to talk about Senator Menendez from New Jersey, among other things. Montpelier is a lot going on this weekend. We'll be right back. We're back. And we welcome your calls at 244-1777. We're going to open the phones. We're going to talk about a lot of things, uh, both political and non-political. So feel free to join us and give us your opinion. Um, I want to read you the, and of course I've lost it. 
So I'm going to go to vtdigger.org and find it. Uh, I am, You can hear me typing uh, because I wanted to read for you the obituary of a, a, a woman who I did not know, but a lot of Vermonters did, uh, and whose son was on this show recently. Her name is Lavinia Dorsey Bright who died uh, on July 29th of this year, but it's worth uh, remembering her. Vinia Bright uh, passed away peacefully on Saturday, July 29th, 2023, born to Emma May Lee and Harold Dorsey of Chicago, Illinois in 1941. She spent her early years in Robbins, Illinois and Niles, Michigan. Uh, in 1963, she married Dr. William Bright, and the two served from 65 to 67 in the Peace Corps. Upon returning to the United States, she taught business education at Highland Park High School. That same year, she and her family moved to Burlington, Vermont, after she earned a master's degree in education at Wayne State University. She, They got here. She was active in her community, teaching business education at Colchester High School and Burlington High School, serving in many leadership capacities as vice president of the Black Professionals Network of Vermont, a gender equity consultant to the Rural Education Center, a member of the Vermont State Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and a member of the Minority Women's Business Partnership and the local NAACP chapter. And here's where it gets really interesting. In 1988, Lavinia Bright was elected to the Vermont House of Representatives and served three terms representing the city of South Burlington. She was the first African-American woman and, in fact, the first woman of color to serve in the Vermont State Legislature. She led the fight for race and gender equity, including and opportunity, serving as ranking member of the Health and Welfare Committee, where she stewarded passages, passage of Vermont's first Parental and Family Leave Act. She also served on the Government Operations Committee. In 2021, local NAACP chapters in Vermont established the Bright Leadership Institute in honor of, in her honor as a multi-stage training program for BIPOC Vermonters running for any level of public office. She retired in 1995 and retired and moved to Alexandria, Virginia, where she continued in her retirement with her husband in Park Forest, Illinois, in Illinois, where she was a faithful and active member of the Flossmoor Community Church. She is survived by her husband of 60 years, Dr. William E. Bright, who served many years at UVM Medical Center. Her children, Bill, her spouse, his spouse, Lauren Bright, and children, Aaron, Erica, Eric, and Rebecca Lavinia Bright Pugh, her husband Preston Pugh, and children, etc., etc. Uh, a life well lived. I I had uh, her son Bill Bright on this show along with Amy, Elaine Haney of uh, Emerge Vermont because uh, Emerge gave uh, uh, Lavinia Bright a uh, an award uh, posthumously. Uh, and there is talk. And uh, David Sheets, the curator of the Vermont State House, if you're listening. Uh, there is talk of doing a portrait, raising some money and doing a portrait of Lavinia Bright. Uh, and I can think of no, uh, no more deserving person than Lavinia Bright. Uh, check her out at vtdigger.org. Just go to vtdigger.org slash obits. There's a great picture of her, uh, a trailblazer, um, a, uh, 
who did great works in Vermont, who I did not know about uh, until, I mean, as a creature of the Vermont State House for many, many years, I did not know about Lavinia Bright. You know, we, we, we know about um, lots of other trailblazers, uh, but I think it's time that Lavinia Bright have a portrait uh, in the Vermont State House. So, uh, so there will be uh, lots of discussion about that. We'll have David Sheets on the show uh, to talk about that. Okay, that's Lavinia Bright. Now, I read yesterday in the New York Times, by the way, if you want to call in, 244-1777 as we go through various uh, things that are happening. Actually, I've got one more thing I want to read. I'm going to click on my uh, email. Did you notice the story that was in the papers just the other day, as you will remember, uh, New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez has been indicted uh, on charges of bribery and all sorts of other uh, doing bad things. But basically accepting gifts, a Mercedes car, uh, mortgage payments uh, and all sorts of other things uh, in exchange for him doing shady deals with New Jersey businessmen and business people in Egypt including mishandling of uh, national security information. Well, the story just gets darker and darker. Uh, on a cold evening in December 2018, Nadine Arslanian, the soon-to-be wife of Senator Menendez, was zipping through the darkened streets of suburban New Jersey in a black Mercedes-Benz sedan. She would later tell the police that she did not see the man stepping out in front of her to cross a busy thoroughfare. This is in Bogota, New Jersey. The crash that ensued at 7.30 p.m. killed the man, Richard Coop, 49, instantly, his body thrown to the curb just steps from his home and badly mangled. After brief questioning, the police concluded that Miss Ms. Menendez, who was alone in the vehicle, was not at fault and she was released well, if you go down further in the story, this starts to fill in an important narrative gap around one of the most blatant bribes that is alleged in the 39-page federal indictment unveiled last month against Ms. Menendez, her powerful husband, and three businessmen. Now, stick with me here. Uh, prosecutors said that in those charging papers that Ms. Menendez needed a car so badly after this accident that the senator, a Democrat, was willing to try to suppress an unrelated criminal prosecution for a New Jersey businessman in exchange for a $60,000 Mercedes convertible. The fatal collision with Mr. Coop on December 12th matches prosecutors' description uh, of the December 18th crash. So the New York Times has has brought together interviews, police reports, dash cam footage, audio of 911 calls, and other records that raises additional questions about the inquiry into the collision itself. Why was she allowed to walk away from a crash that killed a guy? Uh, one witness at the scene said in an interview that officers appeared to know who she was and treated her with striking deference. Mr. Coop's sister says the family has had serious concerns over what we felt was a very sparse, one-sided uh, police investigation. So this just gets, as I said, darker and darker, darker. Uh, and and the <laughs> talk about having the receipts. 
the the police and the prosecutors have text messages between Menendez and his wife. Um, th- this the police reports do not state where Miss Menendez was going that night on East Main Street in Bogota, which is miles from her home in Englewood Cliffs. But the dash cam footage obtained by the Times through an open records request shows she was dressed in a fur coat and mid-length dressed dress. Surveillance video, video from a nearby car shop that captured part of the collision shows Mr. Mr. Coop propelled off the car windshield and onto the curb as she slammed on the brakes. She claims that... Mr. Coop jumped on her windshield. Uh, in the indictment, they mentioned nothing more about the collision than that it left her without a car. But court papers clarify what prosecutors allege came next. And here is the juicy key to the story. They said Senator Menendez sent multiple text messages to a business associate complaining that his wife did not have a car. Two friends other New Jersey businessmen soon agreed to fix that situation and deliver a Mercedes sports car to the Menendez. All is great, Ms. Menendez said in a text to her business associate. I'm so excited to get a car next week. This is, this is days after she kills a guy. In April, four months after Mr. Coop's death, Ms. Menendez signed the paperwork to purchase a new $60,000 Mercedes-Benz C300 convertible. She told her business associate, a guy named Uribe, by text that she would, quote, never forget this, and messaged her husband, the senator, to celebrate too. And here's what she says to her husband, who is a United States senator and the chairman of the United States Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Congratulations, mon amour de la vie, she wrote to her husband, we are the proud owners of a 2019 Mercedes. Okay. We're, I will take your calls if you'd like to ask me about this. Uh, as I said, this story just gets darker and darker. Menendez was forced to give up the chairmanship of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The Justice Department has issued a 39-page indictment uh, that charges him with bribery he is facing years and years in prison. Prediction? He'll make a deal, but we'll see. There's a lot going on on this front, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, and we're going to keep bringing it to you. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint, and we'll be right back. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. We've got uh, a few minutes left. You can call me at 244-1777 if you want to talk about New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez. Boy, we talked about nuclear weapons and the effort to eliminate them uh, with author Ward Hayes Wilson in the first part of the show. And I I just realized uh, Menendez is chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, you know, that, that he, major impediment on his part uh, to doing anything sensible about nuclear weapons. Uh, Ward points out he's a major roadblock on doing anything sensible. Uh, he opposes anything with, uh, to reduce uh, nuclear we- the nuclear weapons arsenal. So interesting. Uh, there's a Democrat going against what Ronald Reagan wanted to do uh, back in the 80s, which was uh, eliminate the entire nuclear arsenal. In fact, 
gosh, if you read the book by Strobe Talbot, and I'm going to not remember what it is, but Reagan and Soviet Premier Gorbachev took the, so the famous walk in the woods in which they said to each other, I think Reagan brought it up, actually. He talks about this in his diary. Reagan raised the prospect of with Gorbachev of getting rid of their nuclear arsenals, and Gorbachev agreed in one of the great moments in history that did not then happen. They agreed to get rid of their nuclear arsenals, and then it got caught up in the typical bureaucracy of politics and policy and and uh, whatever paralysis. But uh, this has been talked about, and in fact, John Kennedy talked about it too. So uh, it's, it's a fascinating uh, issue, um, and we're going to stay with it. A couple of uh, programming, housekeeping notes for things that you can do this weekend. The Montpelier, the Taste of Vermont Pillier Food Festival this weekend, Saturday, October 7th. It's unlike any food festival you've seen before. Forget about the stuffy events with $100 tickets in the middle of the field. Join us in the heart of Montpelier's downtown to get a true taste of what we're all about. Fun, approachable, delicious. All events uh, weekend throughout this. This is a reopening celebration post-flood. Uh, One o'clock start ends at five. State Street from Maine to Elm and Langdon from uh, Maine to Elm. My favorite places. So food and food and drink, restaurants, food trucks, meals at your local downtowns, sponsored by the usuals, Vermont Creamery, Bar Hill, Union Mutual, Vermont Mutual, uh, Red Hand Bakery, Seven Days, etc. So check it out. You can go to MontpelierAlive.com to get all those details. But lots to do in downtown Montpelier this weekend. Okay, now. The CV Fiber people, I've had their executive director on this show. Her name is Janiel Smith. They've just issued a press release that on this Wednesday, and I'm talking to all you people who have bad Internet out there, this Wednesday at the Callis Town Hall at 1 o'clock, they are announcing that it is connect, that they have connected their first customers to high-speed fiber optic Internet. CV Fiber leaders, partners, and government officials will speak about the organization's progress to date and its plans to continue connecting customers in its first district, which includes parts of Callis. So, everybody, your high-speed Internet is arriving. Remember uh, the show we did with Janiel Smith? The, the, uh, the question that I raised was, when's it coming to my place in East Montpelier? Remember, there's a, there's a rush going on here. CV Fiber is the, basically the government sponsored nonprofit that is stringing fiber, but they're in competition with the usuals, Comcast and Consolidated Communications, the phone company. Everybody wants to sign up new customers. Why didn't Consolidated and Comcast come to my house? Simple. Because there aren't enough customers in rural East Montpelier where I live to make it profitable for them. So what happened? The federal government got together uh, and allocated a ton of money, millions and millions of dollars, okay, to go to, to government-sponsored organizations like CV Fiber to pay for them to string fiber through places like Callis and East Montpelier. 
because the for-profit folks won't do it. I am, I can't wait to hear, you know what I gotta do? I gotta get Bill Sayer on this show. Is he following us today? I think he is. Uh, to talk about his philosophy on this, I would suspect that Bill, and I bet he's listening, Bill, if you're out there, I suspect that Bill would say that the market would take care of this, that Comcast and Consolidated would fight it out for these customers and string fiber because that's how the market works. The CV fiber option uh, is, a, is a government federal dollars sponsored solution because the, the Congress of the United States and Joe Biden concluded that the market was would not take care of this problem. Uh, the fact that I can't basically do business from my house because my Internet's too slow. Uh, I'd be fascinated to hear what Bill has to say about that. It's a fascinating uh, political, philosophical conversation. But like it or not, on Wednesday of next week at 1 o'clock at the Callis Town Hall, they're announcing that they're connecting their first customers. So, of course, my question is to, let's see, the contact is Olivia Kantyaka. She's the community relations manager at CV Fiber. Uh, and I just sent her an email. Olivia, when am I getting connected? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get that answer. I've been told by people at CV Fiber that it's coming. It was coming in August or September. August and September have now passed. It is now October. I figure I'll get it sometime in the new year, but, uh, it's fun to uh, it's it's really fun to follow this and watch uh, government officials try to and nonprofit leaders and volunteer board members try to manage this money, manage this rollout, and get it done. So uh, we'll stay on that story for you. That is our show for today. Uh, it's Friday. You're going to have Bill Sayer next. No, uh, no, no governor's press conference. Uh, my thanks to our guests, Ward Hayes Wilson, Bob Nay for some emails and Courtney Lambden from seven days. If you want to be a guest on the show, send me a topic or an, through an email, vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. I hope we did some illuminating and informing and had some fun along the way today. The show becomes a podcast that you can get. Just go to wdevradio.com. You can listen there anytime, but also get the podcast and then forward it to your friends on social media. We're always trying to grow the audience here. Remember, I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. You can find me at kevinkls.com. Subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest or and to my podcast, Conflict of Interest, which examines the issues we deal with on this show. As always, we talk politics, media, and culture, and everything else on my mind and yours. Next Wednesday, we're going to talk Medicare. How do you sign up? What do you watch out for? And what and, and what should you sign up for? We're going to have a, a doctor joining us uh, who specializes in this kind of stuff. I am in the process of doing this, so there's a selfish uh, motivation for me uh, because I'm trying to figure it all out. Medicare Advantage, Medigap, uh, Medicare Original. So lots of options uh, to choose from. Uh, we'll try to get a Blue Cross Blue Shield person on the show to help us work through it as well. But we're going to talk Medicare on Wednesday and on Friday. Who knows? Uh, send me an email if you want to be, if you have a, a topic for us to talk about. 
Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by Danny McGivergan and all the folks here at WDEV. Thank you very much to Lee Cattell, who was in the booth today uh, managing the board. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll see you back here Wednesday. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's live radio on the Friendly Pioneer. See you next week. It's WDEV.